Amen. I should go ahead and take the offering this morning. Good morning, Evangel. It's a good day, yes? Probably want to say it with me, eh? Ready? It's a good day, and it is a good day, and I'm really glad to be here, and if you're here for the first time, thanks. If you're here for the 120,000th time, thanks for coming back. We're um, carrying on with our Market Up series today, and uh, we're nearly finished the series. Can I just tell you, I've never um, been in a, a, a Sunday morning message series as long, in, in 22 years, I've never been in a series this long, and um, and so it's been, it's been going for a long time. Next Sunday, we'll wrap it up. Next Sunday will be the end of the book of Mark that we've been going through for a good long time now. And so this is the second last Sunday, and, and it is, has been long, and yet some Somebody said to me last week, they said, but you know what, Patty, I think it's good that it's been as long as it has because it's taken us, we've, we've taken our time going through it, looking at all these different verses and all these different scriptures and actually reading through every single piece of it. And it forces us to go a little bit deeper so we don't miss anything. And I thought, you know what? They're, they're right. There's times when we go through scripture and we cover a lot of territory in a short time and kind of big picture stuff. And then there's other times you just slow right down and you look at every single verse, every single thing in the scripture that you're looking at so you don't miss anything. And so I think they're right that that's what we've been doing with this Market Up series. And so because sometimes there are scriptures that we, we uh, skim over. And we would never say out loud that we skim over them because all scripture is given by God and, and all that. But there's some, let's just be honest, there's some that we land on a lot easier than others, right? Anybody else honest enough to go, there's a few scriptures I skim over? Just me. Okay. Good. Right. And so this is today, this is one of those scriptures that we tend to skim over a little bit. It's not one of the ones that we land on. It's right after the crucifixion of Jesus, but it's here And there must be a reason that Mark wrote it in his gospel. And there's a reason that God preserved it in his scripture. And so we look for that reason. We take the time to look at it. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so I'm going to read through the whole thing. And then we'll talk it out. It's Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 40. And I just want you to listen as I read it through. And really pay attention to the names of the people that are part of this scene. This is following the crucifixion of Jesus. Mark chapter 15. And starting at verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When Jesus was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. 
Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. This is a scripture that when we read it, we tend to skim over it because we're jumping ahead to the next part. We're jumping ahead to the resurrection because it doesn't seem like it's all that important. It's this, it's this window of scripture that actually we don't really want to dwell on very much. We're, we're quite happy to talk about the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. And we're happy to talk about the resurrection of Jesus and him being raised to life again. But this is that window of time between those two events. This is the window of time when Jesus is dead. Dead. And we don't, we don't like to talk about that part very often. It's after the crucifixion, and it's before the resurrection, and it's never the time that we focus on, and yet it's written here. And so I was reading this scripture in the last couple of weeks and just prepping for today and trying to think through, God, why do you have this here? Why did you include this in your scripture? And I was, I was taking a look, and I was really captured as I read this scripture by who was part of this scene. Who are the names? Who are the people that are listed in this piece of scripture in this scene? And I also noticed who wasn't there. I noticed who was there, and I noticed who wasn't there. The 12 disciples, the 12 that are closest to Jesus, there's no mention of them. There's nowhere to be seen in this particular scripture when you would think they would be there, and they're not there. And, but this piece of the story, this piece of scripture is filled with people who don't belong there. Okay? For example, women. And, and, and um, Mark goes, he names them Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James the Younger and Joseph. Salome. Who were they? Well, they're followers of Jesus. I mean, it says it right there in the scripture. It says right there that they followed him. It says that they ministered to him. And actually, that's mentioned in other gospels as well. Lots of women were followers of Jesus, even though they don't get mentioned that often. They do get mentioned. If you look in Luke chapter 8, I think it is. Luke chapter 8 mentions Joanna and her husband was Herod's business manager. And it mentions um, Susanna. And in fact, there's all kinds of women that are following Jesus and that are his disciples and that are followers of him. And, you know, I hate to break it to you, but Luke chapter 8 says they were the ones paying the bills. Let's hear it for the girls right now. Right? They're the ones that they had financial resources and they're giving them. This is what they're called to do. This is what they're doing. They have become followers of Jesus. And so they're giving generously. They're all in just like the men. And so some of them are the ones that are here in this scripture. And Mark names them. He makes sure to name them. Mary Magdalene. For a long time uh, in history, the church thought that, that she had been somebody that was a prostitute, even though the Bible never says that. But she was there, Mary Magdalene. And then this other woman named Mary. And then this woman named Salome. And they were followers of Jesus, these women. So you go, well, Patty, why on earth would you say they don't belong there? Why wouldn't they be there? They're followers of Jesus. Why on earth wouldn't they be there? Well, because they're women. And they're in this time and place, and they're in this culture where they really shouldn't be there, where they don't matter. Nobody thinks that they matter. They're just on the fringes of society. They're just on the margins. Their word has no legal value. They have no right to stand in court and be a witness to something or say that something has happened. Their word carries no weight at all, and yet Mark is naming them. And he's documenting this part of the story really carefully because he knows what's coming. He knows what he's going to write in the next chapter that Jesus has risen from the dead. And the women are listed as people that you can check those facts with. 
It says in verse 47, Mary Magdalene and mother the, Mary the mother of Joseph saw where Jesus was laid. He names them and he's documenting it so that people know. And it's amazing that he names them at all. Because Mark isn't really into naming names. He doesn't do that a lot. He's, he's, his gospel is the shortest of the four gospels. And so he's always in a hurry. You just get the feeling he's in a hurry. He's just action, action, action. That's how he writes. And then at the same time, he's living in a time and a place where there's some hostility. And so he's a little bit careful of who he names. He doesn't want to put people in danger. And yet in this instance, he, he really, for whatever reason, feels that it's important to write down the names of these women who were there as Jesus is there dead. And I don't, I don't know why. Maybe, maybe he's trying to make sure that the early church will remember that women mattered. That as they started moving on, as they started becoming this group of people that met together, that would seem awfully weird to them. They live in this culture. They live in this time and place where women don't matter. And maybe Mark was really trying to make sure that they weren't forgotten, that Jesus had treated women differently because Jesus valued women. And the church, the early church valued women. Didn't matter that the culture of the day said that their word didn't matter. And it didn't matter that the culture of the day said that scandal, women brought scandal everywhere they went. And it didn't matter that the culture of the day said that women belonged at home and they should just stay there, you know, and do what they do there. This one scholar said, you know, the most striking thing, this is the quote that this scholar said, the most striking thing about the role of women in the life and teaching of Jesus is a simple fact that they were there. They were there. Women were there. And, and people often think that Christianity, our faith, and, and followers of Jesus, they think that it's really this um, sexist or patriarchal religion that puts women down, and, and Christianity is bad news for women. That's what people think. And, and let's be honest, it has been sometimes, but not because of Jesus. Jesus is not the one that did that. To him, they belonged. They belonged, and they they could belong as much as anybody else. To Jesus, women were followers, women were disciples, women were students who learned just like the men, and the gospels say so. It was absolutely unprecedented in that time and place. Jesus never discriminated against women, never put them down, didn't matter that everybody said they didn't matter. He said they did, and he encouraged them to follow and to belong and to learn just like the men. It was shocking. They didn't, they didn't belong, you know, when he was alive. They didn't belong. And they certainly didn't belong now. But they were there. They were there on this, on this day after Jesus is crucified. And Mark thought it was crucial to say so and to name them. Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Salome. They, don't, they didn't belong there. But they're there anyway. They're looking after Jesus in this moment when he's dead. They're caring for his body and they're doing what needs to be done. And then I'm caught by somebody else that's at this same scene of this piece of scripture that we skip over. Joseph of Arimathea. He's, he's this respected member of the Jewish council. He does not belong in this scene. He's this respected member of the Jewish council. This is the council, you'll remember, that just put Jesus to death. 
This is the council that just acted in ways that were totally illegal and unethical and immoral and everything wrong. They just acted so despicably and so horrifically and without any integrity, just horrible group of people. And, and he's part of that. So he doesn't belong here in this scene looking after the body of Jesus. He doesn't belong there at all. And Mark says that, that he was looking for the kingdom of God, and, he was so, and, and so he's, you know, kind of a good guy. He probably was a good guy, not like the rest on this council that he serves on. But still, like, it's, it's not exactly the appropriate time for him to show up. He doesn't belong. He shouldn't be there. If the 12 disciples, those 12 guys, you know, that were closest to Jesus, if they had been there, which they weren't, But if they had been there, it would be really understandable if they looked at Joseph with a little hostility. What are you doing here? You're one of them. You're one of that group that killed him. You shouldn't be here. We can't trust you. You had power and you didn't even use it. You didn't even stop this from happening. To them, he would look like the enemy, Joseph of Arimathea. And yet, he was there. Mark says so. He's there with the women. Apparently, he was a follower of Jesus too. And maybe maybe a secret one. And and he's rich. If you look in the other gospels, they talk about him as well. He's rich, very wealthy. He's well-respected. He's known as this pious, very good man. But he doesn't belong there. He's he's carrying from either vantage point, whether you're someone that loved Jesus, he doesn't belong there because he was one of the ones that helped put him to death. If you're one of the ones that's on the council, he doesn't belong there because he's this rich, wealthy, respected, good man who's looking after the body of a criminal. He's this, he's this man, respected man, who's looking after somebody that his own counsel just said was a fake Messiah. He just helped them put him to death. He shouldn't be there. No wonder it says that it took courage for him to ask Pilate for the body. He had to, you know, gear up his nerves and, and take some courage in order to do that. Because if anyone found out what he was doing, oh, he'd pay a price. It didn't matter to him put his reputation on the line, spent his own money, did the work himself, according to Mark, didn't even delegate it out. And it's him, Mark says, that rolled the stone in front of the tomb while the women watched. These are the people who are witnesses. These are the ones that can testify that Jesus was dead. And Joseph of Arimathea didn't belong there. But he was there anyway. Just doing what needed to be done. And then I look in this scripture a little bit more, and I I see this Roman soldier who's there. And he certainly doesn't belong. And maybe it's the same centurion, that same um, soldier that, that, remember we talked about a week or two ago when the darkness happened and the earthquake happened and, and Jesus died and the centurion saw him and said, surely this was the son of God. It's probably the same one. His job, this Roman soldier, this centurion, his job is to make sure that nothing funny happens. It's his job to make sure that if somebody is, is sentenced to death, that they die. That when they are executed, they actually are dead. And by the way, just as a side note, if somebody ever suggests to you, because this kind of thing pops up every now and then, if somebody ever suggests to you that, that in the story of Jesus, well, they just didn't really know what they were doing, and, and Jesus wasn't actually dead, he was almost dead, and he was unconscious, and so he didn't really raise from the dead, they just didn't know. Can I, I don't want to get into all the details of it, but so let me just give you the short form, okay? Are you ready? 
Romans knew how to kill people. They knew what they were doing. They did it all the time. It was a big part of, of, their, of, of their organization and everything that they did. They knew how to kill people. This centurion's job was to make sure that Jesus was dead, and Jesus was dead. There was no question about it. Just wanted to throw that out there for you. So this, so this Roman soldier is there, this centurion, and he's bearing testimony to it all. He doesn't belong there either. He shouldn't be part of this story. He's part of the group of people that just killed Jesus. He's part of this, this group that oppresses Jewish people and that, that puts them down and thinks they're stupid and just despises them and all the rest. And yet he's there. He's part of this story of Jesus. He's confirming Jesus' death. He's the one that notices this was the Son of God. And part of what Mark is doing, he's naming all these people. He's creating documentation. He's setting the scene for what's to come because he knows it's a little hard to believe. So he knows that when this resurrection comes next, people are going to go, what? And so he's documenting all these little details. He's naming real people who can verify what happened. He's giving specific details. He's not writing in a style that's like a fairy tale or like some sort of, you know, Harry Potter epic myth kind of thing. He is just documenting what really happened. So he names these people who didn't belong, and who weren't the beloved 12 disciples. These were people who did not matter. Except they did. They did matter. Their stories mattered. These are the ones who were there at the cross. They were the ones who were brought together by the cross. Their stories came together because of Jesus and because of the cross. And when you look at it that way, you realize it's kind of a hint of what the church was going to look like. The church that Jesus would establish on earth out of his death and out of his resurrection, Jesus is going to establish this church. And what we're seeing there in this moment of all of these people who don't belong and they don't belong together and they don't belong with Jesus and yet they're there anyway, it's a hint and it's a view of what is to come in the church, which is amazing because it's so countercultural. And it's, it's so unnatural. And not just then, even now. It's still, it's still really odd because we gravitate to, in any society, we gravitate to, okay, who's important and who's not, right? We do that. We don't say that we do that. We're a very tolerant and open-minded and loving society, and yet we're also a society that marginalizes people, and there are some people that matter and some people that don't. Some people that are important and some people that, you know, they kind of get written off as a little bit less important. Some people that have all the power and some people that don't really have much say in anything at all. And at this moment, with all of these people who don't belong together at all and, they're, and yet they're brought together around the cross, that's a hint of what's going to come in the church. Because the church of Jesus Christ is the place where barriers are going to come down. The church of Jesus Christ is the place where, where the barrier between who's in and who's out is going to drop. The barrier between powerful people and marginalized people is going to drop. 
And the barrier between people who are who were on the wrong side and people who were on the right side, and now they're all followers of Jesus, that barrier is just going to drop because everybody's just going to belong together as a follower of Jesus, all part of the church. And so people who never even knew God at all will mix together in the church with people who have known about God for generations. People who highly value their traditions that are part of their faith, they're going to mix together in the church with people who don't even know what the traditions are. And they're stepping all over everyone's toes without even knowing it. That's the church. People and eyebrows are going to get raised because you're going to come into church, this church that Jesus has established, and people will look around and they'll see who's there and their eyebrows will go up because they can't believe that, well, they're there. Even them whoever them is to each of us. Even them are welcome. You know, the ones, the ones who don't matter. The ones who seem a little bit scary. The ones that you would look at and think, well, they're the enemy. They can't be trusted. Even, even them. Even us. Even me. We all get to be part of this church together. And it's not, it's not easy to remember. It just goes against all of our instincts and, and everything that happens in our world. Because even just a few years after all of this had happened, after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, the early church has been, has been formed and it's rolling along. And, and it's become clear fairly quickly that the Messiah, Jesus, didn't just come for the Jews. He also came for them, Right? The Gentiles, the outsiders, the marginalized ones. It's becoming clear Jesus was a Messiah for them. And and everybody knows it because the Apostle Peter had this whole vision. And then the Holy Spirit gave this, you know, powerful experience that confirmed it. And then the church council or the church government in Jerusalem, they confirmed that it seemed right. And they said, yeah, this is good. They should be welcomed. And and so everybody agrees on that. And yet just a short time later, (laughs) Paul, you know, goes and visits a church and, and and he sees Peter. And what's Peter doing? Is he mixing with everybody? No. No. He's hanging out with, you know, the special people. He's hanging out with the Jewish people. He's hanging out with the holy people. And he's, he's eating with them only. And, and they, the Gentiles, they're, they're over here. And they're being, they're being politely excluded. Just over here on the margins. You just sit there, dear. You're not eating the right food. And Paul sees this. And he calls Peter out. Calls him a hypocrite right in front of the whole church. What is wrong with you? Don't you know? Everybody belongs. Everybody belongs. Everybody's together when we meet around the cross. And then Paul goes on to say these so important words in Galatians chapter 3. That's what he says. For you are all children of God. Say that with me. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who've been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for, say it with me, you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter who you were, just matters who you are. And who you are, God says, is one of God's kids. Who you are 
is a child of God. Who you are is a follower of Jesus because of the cross. And so because of that, you belong. I belong. Every one of us belongs together. This whole weird crew that we are. Just take a look around at this moment. Seriously, just look around you at this weird crowd that's gathered in this space together. Go ahead. Look around. It's not unsacred. Take a look. Okay? There's a bunch of crazy people in here. And we all belong. We are all one because of the cross of Christ. And you just, you just look around at the people in this church. And let me tell you something. Some of us, some of us are smart and successful and, and well off and, and doing really well. And some of us, we're not doing so hot. We're, we're maybe struggling financially. We're working really hard to make it. Some of us are, are on the margins for whatever reason. We don't feel like quite we fit in, but we're sort of on the edges and we're trying to find a way to connect. And, and some of us actually have been here our whole lives and our parents were here and our grandparents were here. And some of us have been here for the whole hundred years of this history of the church. Some of us, it's our first Sunday here and we don't know a soul. Okay. Most of us, let me tell you, most of us struggle or have struggled with things that other people don't know about. And you go, that can't be true, Patty. I think it's only just me. No. Most of us have struggled or do struggle with tough things like addictions or gossip or pride or legalism or gluttony or sexual issues or immorality or victimization and the list goes on. Most of us have struggled or are struggling with... And let me just tell you something else. None of us should be here. None of us deserve to be here. By any definition, we don't belong here and we don't belong together. But we're all here. We're all here. And we belong together. We're here, all of us together. Even me. Even you. And even them all together because of the cross. That's the only reason. We are all children of God. We are all one in Christ Jesus because of the cross. And there's this, this old hymn that some of you will know and some of you won't. And that's okay because the ones that do will help along the ones that don't. And, and it's this response to the cross. It's this personal reflection that says, this is why I cherish the cross. This is why I value it. This is why I treasure the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're going to sing it in just a few moments. But I want to... Um, I want to explain what we're going to do for the remainder of this service so that you have a heads up and so that you're ready for it. And it doesn't matter to us if you're visiting or if you're here for the first time or if you're here for the 120,000th time. Either way, we'd love you to participate if you're a follower of Jesus. Because in just a few moments, we're going to take communion together. We're going to do it the same way that we did last time if you were here, which is together. And, and because it's the cross... That's what brings us together. And so when we start singing this song, I'm going to ask those who are um, in charge of a table to move to those tables right away and start pouring juice or do whatever you need to do to get ready. And the rest of you, I want you to look around and, and see who it is that you might want to share communion with this morning. 
And I really want you to look around and make sure that you take it with somebody when the time comes. And would you do me a favor and make sure that nobody's left out unless they want to be. Can we do that? And then after what we're going to do is we're going to go through and we're going to um, sing this, this song about cherishing the cross of Christ. And then after we finish singing, then what you do is a couple of you or all of you, doesn't matter, you go to the tables, they're stationed all the way through the sanctuary and up in the balcony. And, and in either all of you go or one or two of you go and you get the juice, you get the bread and you bring it back to the others. And then you just take it together with some people at the group that you're part of. And you might say something like, you know, we all belong. We are all one. Even me, even you. And, and last time we did this, somebody said, Patty, I had too much juice. I had to take communion twice. You're allowed. <laughs> it's okay. You can even do it with somebody different. And remember the cross of Christ. And so that's what I want you to do. But uh, you won't need a pastor to tell you when that happens. We're just going to sing this and then I'm going to release you and you can take communion together. But can we first um, share in this old song? It's our response and our reflection to what Jesus has done for us at the cross. You can stand, you can sit, it doesn't matter to me. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I
start to move towards the various stations in the sanctuary and get the juice and get the bread and bring it back to the group that you're with. And as we finish this last verse, then you can pray together and you can take it. But why don't you go ahead and start moving as we sing this last verse. take a moment to say we all belong even me even you even all of us could say together we are all one because of the cross however you want to do it you go ahead and do it whether you're visiting with us it doesn't matter we'd love to have you be a part of it just take a few moments find somebody to share communion with
worship, can we sing it together? So I'll cherish the as we close this service this morning we say thank you every one of us for that cross thanks God that you are the one who brings us together you are the one who makes us belong even when we don't belong you're the one that looks at us and says you do belong welcome to the family God thank you for what you've done for each one of us because of the cross of Jesus Christ thank you that you know our names God, as we go forward now out of this service, we ask that your Holy Spirit would go with us, that you would help us to carry Jesus well in our workplaces, in our schools, and with our families, and our neighbors, and our friends, and all the stuff that we do through the week. Would you help us to carry Jesus well, to do good, to love each other, to reveal Jesus? God, help us to honor you and bless each other with everything we do. And we ask that you would do this and bring us back safely next week. In Jesus' name, and everyone said together, amen. Amen. God bless you. Make sure that you check out uh, our Owner's Care Fair. Look for the signs that are held up all around. Find your place to belong. And make sure you go for a coffee at the Connect Cafe. God bless you. See you next week.